Welcome back to another episode of Soundboard, the official podcast of Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, where we sound off about recent scholarship, ideas, and current happenings from the fine folks who have crossed paths with our department. My name is Jeremy Reed. This week on the podcast is a replay of Dr. Bertie Cabrera's recent department talk titled Debate and Devotionalism in Bangladesh. If you listen to our interview episode with Dr. Cabrera, then you'll be well primed to take this closer look at his research on the Boyati Sufi communities in Bangladesh and the interplay between different categories and schools of musical practice. As always with these episodes, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology Colloquium Committee, who worked so hard to put together lecture events like the one you're about to hear. Enjoy. It's really a pleasure to, to be here and, and give this uh, talk today, um, not the least because it gives me the opportunity to, to share a bit of my work um, with you all through my visiting appointment here. I know so many of you and you know me, but this opportunity has not yet arisen until now, so very glad to have it. So uh, my, my presentation is sort of going to uh, be in broad strokes. Um, I do this partially because I think there's a certain amount of um, historical um, and ethnographical detail um, that, that should be situated and contextualized before I go into um, some of the matters that interest me. Um, but also because I know that this is a sort of public facing series and I want to engage with, with all of you uh, in the best way that I can. And lastly, it's, it's Friday afternoon after all. Um, so I, I wanna say a few words about, um, about Bangladesh um, and um, the somewhat unknown legacy of, uh, of Bangladeshi academics and intellectuals that have had such a unique uh, and consequential connection uh, with the Department of, of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. Um, when I first walked into the department uh, in the fall, I was admiring uh, all the artwork and the tapestries that adorn um, our hallway in our offices. And I suddenly recognized a portrait of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, who was the founding father of Bangladesh, and he's hanging just above our directory board. If you, for those of you who haven't seen it, check it out next time you walk past. Um, uh, and uh, in fact, I, the history between our department and, and Bangladesh goes back many, many decades. Um, the national folk poet of Bangladesh, Joshimuddin, was invited to IU Bloomington uh, in the 1950s, um, just years after, after the dismantling of the British Raj in South Asia. Uh, many other writers and researchers followed, uh, coming as, as visiting appointments or in pursuit of their uh, PhDs in folklore. Uh, a large percentage of them would actually return to Bangladesh and become leading poets and public intellectuals, uh, consequently shaping the contours of, of uh, literary criticism and the study of vernacular performance traditions, um, which have been so crucial to, to Bangladeshi national identity in the decades that followed and, and continues today. So um, it's a testament, I think, to the seminal, seminal place of, of this department, our department in the world. Um, and I feel even more privileged uh, to present this talk today in the shadow of the Bangladeshi polymaths who, whose paths crossed here before me. So my work concerns Bangladesh and music. Um, I wanna say a few words. I have sort of an introduction and then another introduction and then another introduction before I go into things. But I think these are all important things to mention right up front. And I do wanna say a few words about why uh, this topic matters to me and why I think this work is so critical. Um, so the larger area of Bengal in South has been uh, central to South Asian scholarship, um, but the more specific region of Bangladesh, which is a part of Bengal, 
um, has a legacy of sort of residing in the peripheral footnotes. Um, contemporary research on Bangladesh, though, is growing and has become more and more plentiful. Um, though a certain section has remained mostly historically centered, uh, drawing on things like uh, textual analyses of speculative metaphysical poetry from, from centuries ago, or some somewhat obscure translations from Persian to Bengali, for example, in the pre-modern era, all very interesting. Um, and in con contrast to this, you also have another sort of burgeoning volume of publication, which is more contemporaneous, uh, focused more on things like popular politics and uh, the incongruences of governance. And while this first body of scholarship um, sort of examines permanent impressions of mysticism in the Muslim Bengali idiom, it has characteristically severed itself from the many complex layers of populist sentiment that inform modern Bangladeshi notions of religiosity. Uh, the second body of work focused on a, a nexus of modern campaigns and political maneuverings sometimes remains more ahistorical uh, in conception and especially fails to reconcile the classic and enduring forms of piety that abound in poetic and musical expression. So both of these uh, bodies of work, while recognizing the potency of religious discourse, seem to gravitate to either end of a continuum. My own work seeks in some way to bridge uh, this gap through a temporally expansive notion of devotion that is both abiding and amenable through the phenomenon of musical pastiche in a religious setting. And so to introduce my work, um, I offer three opening vignettes that situate some of, um, some of the salient themes regarding my work in Bangladesh, uh, namely the discursive spirit of devotional song performance and the way it moves from one subject to another, um, the ubiquitous but sometimes contentious space of shrines where such performances often uh, are experienced, and also a sense of liminality and alterity that imbues them with meaning. So the first vignette is about Pir Ghazi. So the word Pir just refers to a holy man, a Muslim holy man. Ghazi, um, coming from a larger sort of uh, terminology of the Muslim world, refers to a sort of saint warrior figure. Um, in Bengali, Pir Ghazi is a traveling saint figure um, in certain forms of pre-modern Bengali religious poetry. Um, his escapades through Bengal continue to be the subject of numerous vernacular performance styles in Bangladesh. This is Rajak Raja. He's a bardic performer from the region of Faridpur in Bangladesh, and he specializes in the stories of Pir Ghazi through song, recitative, and episodic storytelling. As a Muslim warrior saint, Ghazi is known for both his military prowess in conquering the unexplored mangrove forests of Southern Bengal, as well as his supernatural abilities to pacify dangerous animals or the natural elements. Ghazi is traditionally worshiped alongside a female guardian of the forest, as well as a Hindu sovereign of the Delta. In this localized setting of territorial expansion and expedition, Ghazi was integrated with an already existent tradition of indigenous deities found in song and poetry, bridging broader devotional narratives with regionalized ones. Importantly, the figure of Ghazi is always accompanied by his faithful companion and adopted brother, Kalu. Here's an entrance to a shrine honoring Ghazi and Kalu. In performance, the extended dialogue between Ghazi and Kalu is lively and suppositional, surrounding the debates between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, the centrality of the Quran 
and prayer versus the intercession of saints and more transcendent religious experiences. The verbal exchanges of, Gazu, uh, of Ghazi and Kalu rather embrace the dialectical, the rhetorical, the absurd, and poignantly accompanying their daring adventures into uncharted territory. My second vignette concerns a novel, a classic novel of Bengali literature, first produced in 1948 by Sayyid Waliullah called Lal Shalu. This novel provides a striking account of modern shrine legacies in Muslim Bengal. The novel's central character, Majid, unexpectedly arrives in a quiet village and begins to publicly, publicly condemn the local community for failing to maintain the grave of a nearby holy man. Over the course of the novel, Majid manages to convince the villagers to restore the shrine and build an adjacent madrasa or Islamic school and provide housing for him as the shrine's caretaker. After acquiring much wealth and several wives, Majid begins to encounter opposition to his initiatives, but manages to cunningly avoid persecution each time with his quick-wittedness and expertise in allocution. While Majid's behavior becomes increasingly immoral in the novel, the nature of the shrine remains mostly ambivalent to the villagers. Furthermore, while the novel explores the idea of local shrines as dubious spaces of piety, it concurrently sheds light on the open-endedness of shrine legacies, especially ones which have been forgotten or obscured by genera generations of religious reorientation. Ultimately, the power of Majid's shrine is formulated through the extrapolation of pietistic sentiments that he impresses upon his subjects, which, like a derelict shrine's predicament, is built on a disjointed foundation made evocative through ambivalence. The topic of my last vignette was recently visited in 2015 by the prime ministers of India and Bangladesh, who convened to simplify and exchange a series of enclaves nestled between their two borders. While unspoken, this sudden initiative to reconfigure the long-standing enclaves of the region was probably informed by a certain tension, namely the increasingly amiable relationship between the two governments on the one hand, and the threat of a legal movement across borders by its peoples on the other. These enclaves, representing small portions of one nation completely surrounded by another, truly exemplified one of the most confusing maps of inter-territorial claims found in the world. Moving along Bangladesh's border with numerous Indian states, these enclaves also consisted of counter-enclaves and even counter-counter-enclaves, a seemingly endless collection of concentric spaces. This is a picture of Thin Pigha. It's a Bigha, it's a corridor in northern Bangladesh that links one of the last remaining enclaves um, that is owned by Bangladesh, surrounded by India. Today, the disappearance of most of these enclaves has also been replaced by a border fence around large portions of Bangladesh adjacent to India. In some cases, this fence ironically separates Bengalis of Bangladesh and Bengali pluralities of India who fled Bangladesh during the Liberation War decades ago. Furthermore, the legacy of these enclaves are not simply a byproduct of the region's realignments with the British or even India and Pakistan, but larger empires and regional dynasties over centuries laying claim to culturally or politically relevant corners of Bangladesh. My talk today focuses on the sort of interventional qualities of musical devotion in Bangladesh. 
And I focus on a particular community, the Boyati community, who are a loose collective of Sufi musicians that reside throughout the nation and their connection to a broad spectrum of shrines through a stylized and dialectical performance tradition. A fundamental objective of this work has been to interrogate how a musical debate is understood as pietistic expression through the experience of shrine performance and pilgrimage. Before offering some important historical context, I'll start with some broader impressions of Bangladeshi devotionalism in performance. First, the devotion which I speak of represents a style of musical navigation, a larger performance process represented by the transitional exchange of ideas in the devotional moment. More generally, pietism is understood through the lens of devotional experience and practices, and frequently as a reaction to formalism and intellectualism in both Indic and Islamic forms of worship, the nature of devotionalism is commonly emphasized um, as practitioner-focused phenomenon. But in the Bangladeshi setting, devotionalism certainly elicits a reaction or response by those who partake in the performance, but at the same time, there's a complex musical generation on stage that critically enacts a devotionalism itself. In particular, it features an aggregation of diverse song styles poetic sensibilities and approaches to storytelling that have been in circulation for milieu. The charm of the performance is highlighted through the musician's ability to negotiate, interpret, and rehash sonic and lyrical ideas, thereby providing a unique and highly stylized commentary on layered and conflicting tropes of devotional meaning. Secondly, this devotionalism is not simply a deflection of dogma, but also embraces various aspects of scholarly and popular piety. As bricolors, the musicians involved in this performance are not overly concerned with the coherence of words or ideas as a whole. The elements of devotionalism are not eternal or immutable, but rather provisional, shifting. The devotional act of expressing the inexpressible is a running and impromptu exegesis that recomposes a range of sonic modalities which sublimate the formal and the quotidian the theological and the conjectural. Thirdly, this devotionalism also produces a regionalized affect. The reverence for the localized is not situated in some notion of great or little traditions, but in a geographically centered agency where divergent streams of piety, popular, revivalist, speculative, have long coalesced and been investigated, challenged, or reinterpreted in vernacular domain, domains. The idea of the rural also conjures the powerful but thorny relationship between piety and resistance. And Bengali authors, proselytizers, and statesmen have repeatedly engaged physically and figuratively with this domain in order to accentuate a range of devotional polemics. Despite the subtleties that inform uh, ideas of ruralness today brought on by urban sprawl, a burgeoning middle class, widespread use of digital media, regional identity continues to remain central to Bangladeshi's subjectivities today. I now want to turn to um, the political history uh, of this region, which is actually a somewhat lengthy and convoluted topic. However, I think it's important to mention some salient aspects uh, of this history in order to understand how Bangladeshis today navigate this series of devotional subjectivities in this performance that I uh, work on. Historically, we can talk about different types of conflations in this region. Conflations within the region of Bengal, 
within greater South Asia and within the larger Muslim world. The larger region of Bengal comprises significant Hindu and Muslim communities. Historically speaking, both communities are quite spread out across the region. Geographically, Muslim Bengal is quite far removed from other traditional Muslim epicenters in South Asia, both in terms of space and in terms of solidarity with those other Muslim communities. Today, Bangladesh is one of the largest Muslim populations on earth, but with a history of being ruled by both non-Muslim bureaucracies and non-Bengali Muslim elites in the pre-modern era. While Bengali Muslims began to outnumber Bengali Hindus in the late 19th century, in the 20th century, the region was actually an epicenter for Hindu modernism and anti-British discourse by members of that community. In that era, the Bengal Renaissance, a movement which modernized music, literature, and political thought, was a largely Hindu-driven movement. And while it remains secular and all-embracing in spirit, it also failed to consider distinctly Muslim subjectivities. The region of Bengal was actually partitioned three times in the 20th century. The British divided Bengal into a Hindu and Muslim district in the early 20th century, which actually had different reactions from Bengali Muslims and Hindus. Ultimately, that partition was retracted. After British rule ended in 1947, a part of Bengal remained in India, and another part became East Pakistan, what is today Bangladesh. This was the second partition. Both Pakistans were created out of British India with the consequences of that era claiming them to be a place for South Asian Muslims. Comparing both Pakistans at partition, one was quite bloody, defined by a mass exodus of people across borders. The other, that which is now Bangladesh, was more subtle and complex and involved multiple instances of mass movement, as well as a continuous trickling of movement across borders that continues today. For Bangladeshis in particular, partition isn't just something that is reflected on with nostalgia, but continues to have contemporary significance. From 1947 to 71, Bangladesh was essentially governed by the nation of Pakistan, a thousand miles on the other side of India. Bangladeshis regard Pakistani rule as a failed project. Both Pakistans were not only geographically isolated from one another, but Bengali Muslims increasingly felt that they were under, underrepresented in matters of state and ultimately had a different sense of national ideology than Pakistan. Pakistan is a nation of many different ethnic groups united through a link language known as Urdu and a generally shared Islamic identity. Bangladesh has a large Hindu minority even today. And so not all Bangladeshis are united in faith. However, unlike most modern nation states in South Asia, Bangladesh has a largely unified ethno-linguistic majority of Bengali peoples. Therefore, a shared language heritage is what has commonly defined Bangladeshi identity. Bangladeshi ethno-linguistic nationalism was the ideological impetus for the liberation struggle, which began in the 1950s and resulted in the liberation war that ended in 71. This is the third and final partition. The Bangladesh Liberation War is memorialized as a genocide and a victory against all odds. Yet this conflict produced ambiguous consequences. Many of those involved in war-related atrocities fled or went underground. Ecological disaster, political infighting, the nation's changing economic and religious alignments have also complicated this process. A certain angst of injustice is a palpable part of Bangladeshi nationalism. The state calendar is filled with days of mourning and solemn remembrance. National monuments today are architectural representations of the victorious dead, solemn pride, unrequited, justice. 
Some have intentionally unfinished and open spaces, pristine pools of stagnant water, or non-religious representations honoring martyrs and Bengali language heritage. These aspects are decidedly uncertain and imprecise in tone. Officially, Bangladesh is a parliamentary democracy with the exception of a few notable and controversial military coups that uh, negotiated with religious factions to gain power. But Bangladesh has essentially never been a religious state. In fact, as early as the 2010s, a large scale public uprising occurred, which amongst other things, officially ousted Islamic organizations from politics. The fact that this occurred in the 2010s, however, and many decades after independence underlies many other deep-seated complications. So with this lengthy, but believe it or not, selective overview in place, I'd like to now situate the Boyati community of Bangladesh who engage in a certain type of debate performance at shrines. In my own archival work, I have discovered that the term Boyati has been used, uh, has been in use since at least the late 1800s. Although this loose community of musicians may have been known by different names prior to that time. They have, however, been largely, but not exclusively Muslim musicians and native to the region of historical East Bengal and what is today Bangladesh. Boyati musicality represents a vast repository and has never focused on the particulars of one genre, musical disposition, or form of patronage. These alignments have changed over eras of time. This is reflected today by the fact that most Bangladeshis are familiar with the term Boyati, but probably unsure about what Boyati musicianship represents in terms of style and content. Boyati musicians themselves, too, willingly conflate their own musical identity with other communities of artists, some of whom have entered the world of Boyati performance themselves. While this malleable and open-ended configuration has further informed Boyati obscurity, it has also highlighted the citational and interdiscursive nature of their creativity. All Boyati musicians, however, are Sufi musicians and are therefore initiated into a Sufi brotherhood. A plausible notion suggests that the word Boyati is actually inspired by the Arabic bay'a, sale, transaction, literally, but something which in Sufi terminology refers to an oath of allegiance or the larger initiating act of joining a Sufi brotherhood. Throughout the Muslim world, Sufi traditions are typically organized around such brotherhoods through a founding figure or region and a specific set of practices associated with that individual or region. Sufi communities tend to emerge from a particular Sufi brotherhood, developing a devotional repertoire that aligns with the spiritual practices and ideologies of that brotherhood. Generally speaking, the most prominent brotherhoods in Bangladesh developed elsewhere, like the Chishti and Qadari brotherhoods, or are a conglomerate system like the Maj Bandari Brotherhood. In true bricolage, bricolage fashion, the Boyati Sufi can belong to one of any number of Sufi brotherhoods popular in Bengal, and their performance approach is in fact inspired by an array, an array of hagiographical and ritualistic discourses that this dynamic relationship affords. Today, Boyati musicians engage in a popular style of performance, which is called Bitar Gan songs of rumination or songs of deliberation. This performance is a polemically driven genre of song and narrative recitation, largely staged and improvised in open air spaces of certain Sufi shrines in Bangladesh. Funded by mausoleum committees, regulated by communal judges and enjoyed by both aficionados and passers-by, 
the format of Bichargan allows two Bayati musicians to alternatively take the stage and engage in a dialectical performance. Each Bayati is assigned to a particular angle or poco of a rhetorical argument based on a prearranged and binary topic. This is Porimal Shwarkar, shown here posing in front of both his instruments and his books. Boyati musicians very much see themselves as musicians and scholars and are often avid book collectors. Sometimes during the debate, when, the, when their opponent is on stage, you can see the Boyati listening intently while taking down notes with pen and paper in hand. While Boyati musicians admire and value this sort of musical erudition, it is also a part of a larger performance objective that intersperses the musical and the textual, scholarly and the popular. Here you see a number of promotional posters for debates, which also highlight the varying subject matter that shapes these performances. Some debates are based on religious themes, others are not. Some focus on a particular tension, domestic or spiritual, between individuals, saintly personas, regional folk poets, sons and daughters. Others take on more metaphysical topics inspired by both Hindu and Muslim mythologies, cosmologies, scriptural lessons. The debate is organized through a series of alternate sessions on stage. In each session, which is roughly about 15 minutes or 15 minutes or so, Oboyati answers a question and posits a new one, incorporating oration and the rendering of one particular song choice to encapsulate the argument at hand. So let's hear a bit of music. The text that you see now um, is part of a compendium, compendium of song lyrics that I've been putting together um, since my uh, engagement with this performance tradition has very much been through learning the repertoire itself. I hope this material might be uh, a published uh, companion to my writing in some way in the future. Uh, this song celebrates the importance of prayer and warns the listener not to overlook religious law and sacred scripture. It might be performed in one of the most popular debate templates that we see today, known as Shoryot Marfot. The Arabic roots, um, Sharia and Marifa, refer to matters of theory or jurisprudence on the one hand, and the mystical or intuitive knowledge of spiritual truth on the other. In this recording, the Boyati Rajab Dawan represents the more orthodox position of the debate, and has just posited a question to his opponent. He then renders the following song. We'll hear the opening refrain and the first verse. Now, 
given its stylistic weaving of components, what exactly is at stake in such a performance? How are some performances more coherent or offer more creative magic than others? What are the moderating forces in such a debate? And who are the interpreters of intermediacy? How do we align performance with the expectations of the crowd in a larger performance that is perceived to be both devotional and entertainment? There are several angles from which to examine the efficacy of debate, debate performances. First and foremost, the generative compositional style that informs the debate has many components, which collectively produce a certain devotionalism. Rather than standardizing this, these matters, the debate evokes a seemingly endless assortment of weapons in a devotional arsenal. This devotional imagery, uh, rather the devotional imagery associated with canonical poets, for example, can be channeled in performance through recognizable turns of phrase or thematic content. The legacies or ascetic practices of such saint poets are consequently channeled as well. Melodic contours can also be repurposed through their sonic sensibilities. In addition, a boy, uh, as Boyati artists weave song traditions together through oration, the prosodic patterns and vocal cadences of popular sermons or devotional group chants are incorporated into the mix, as well as the occasional inclusion of original compositions. The resulting medley showcases an indexical knowledge of performance mediums taps into the reception histories of songs and poets and resituates devotional imaginaries. A number of debate strategies comprise aspects of performance components and their delivery style, drawing from a range of spiritual authorities, sonic elements, the nature of queries, performance, form, polemical maneuvers, and the manner in which the Boyati musician engages with others on stage or in the audience. A second angle in which to examine the power and charm of the debate is through its administrative, promotional, and ambience-driven components at shrines. Such shrines are compelling sites for understanding lived Islam in historical and contemporary South Asia. They serve as portals into South Asian Islam's compl complex textual histories, devotional rituals of dance and music, as well as theologies of meditation and transcendence. Yet modern Sufi shrines must also be examined in relation to a slew of pietistic ideologies that move through them, catalyzed by both the demands of nation-making projects and public pilgrimage customs. As such, they themselves are a microcosm of officially endorsed and popularist conceptions of Islam that circulate in Bangladesh. In Bangladesh, the everyday mosque is little more than a house of worship where sermons are given and prayers are led. For other activities, musical and non-musical, the shrine has traditionally provided the platform for social engagement, promotion of ideologies, the drawing of correlations between larger communities. Shrines are popular points of congregation and individual experience where the broad spectrum of religiosities can be readily observed. Some shrines are large complexes funded by national endowments. Others are little more than dilapidated relics in the countryside. Some advocate the orthodox beliefs of the mainstream. Others are detached from many, from many aspects of conventional piety. Uh, the various routes of pilgrimage which connect to these shrines are correspondingly complex, competing with one another through liturgical elements, music making, and ritual performance. The shrine figure buried at a shrine may be a non-Bengali Muslim saint of ant antiquity, a more recent and local a saint, an unknown saint, or even one that may or may not be buried there at all. But shrines, 
are also not necessarily defined by the legacy of an interred saint. They're sometimes known by their proximity to a region or landmark, a particular ideology, the endorsement or non-endorsement of music, a particular sponsorship or patronage, or even a legendary event. Here are four images of important shrines in Bangladesh. None of these shrines sponsored the debate performance, but rather illustrate the larger and complex shrine networks in Bangladesh and the different ideologies, ambiences, performance conventions that together evoke a very pointillistic sense of piety through pilgrimage experience. Starting in the top left and moving clockwise is an image of the shrine of Lalon in the region of Kushtia in Western Bangladesh. An important saint composer of Bengali devotional poetry, Lalon's followers today are their own community and celebrate his legacy as a speculative and interreligious one. While highly regarded as the musical epitome of counterculture, his shrine rather nonetheless is a representation of conventional Indo-Islamic culture, especially the bulbous dome and archways that surround the mausoleum on all sides. In the top right is the arched gate leading to the shrine of Shah Ali Baghdadi in the busy neighborhood of Mirpur in Dhaka, the capital. Because of its proximity to both the nation's central bus terminal and the high court building, this shrine is much more known for its locale rather than the tomb of its saint. The shrine hosts something akin to a devotional open mic night every Thursday, where one can hear a variety of mixed genre and non-specialist performances. On the bottom right and bathed in neon lights is one of the many shrines at Maj Bhandar in the Chottagram district of Southern Bangladesh. This massive complex of mausoleums is a definitive space that expands through the local town and is also a hybrid Sufi brotherhood whose own canonical song forms integrate Bengali folk music with Gavali style poetry found in the Sufi shrines of North India and Pakistan. Lastly, in the bottom left, the decorative entranceway leading to the shrine of Shah Jalal in the Silet district of Eastern Bangladesh. As a non-Bengali saint figure, this shrine represents a legacy of Sufi antiquity and the interactions of Muslim saints between Bengal and other regions of the Islamic world. The figure of Shah Dalal and his journeys to the region largely define public, uh, public and popular understandings of Islam's development in the region. No musical traditions are associated with this shrine and like similar shrines throughout Bangladesh, the somber prayer-focused promotion of piety is also state-sponsored which is evidenced by the nation's regional airports that are named after them. The shrines which endorse Boyati performance are in most cases, lesser known shrines that remain inconspicuous amongst, other otherwise, amongst an otherwise bewildering network of shrine cultures throughout the country. Thus, a mutually beneficial relationship exists between a shrine and Boyati. The shrines that Boyati musicians um, uh, uh, sort of uh, host uh, receive popular attention through the debate, which is also a ticketed event, while the open-ended style of Boyati performance finds a way, finds a home rather, in these slightly more obscure shrines in outlying regions. Shrine committees not only regulate pilgrimage and maintain the mausoleum, but are also but also act as impresarios, searching for and hiring the Boyati musicians whose styles best evoke the sonic ambience of their shrine. Thus, shrine caretakers and musicians alike are not simply providing a soundtrack to the pilgrimage experience, but are conduits for the devotional um, sublimation that enshrines pilgrimage. Often, particular shrines become known for a certain debate template 
or a distinct polemical style. These elements further condition the spiritual aura, sonic progression, dialectical expectations that inform debate performance. This brings me to my final point, the body of aesthetes and passers-by that formed the debate's listenership and participants. As events that typically began after the final of the five daily prayers and continues through the night, there is sometimes a phantasmagorical ephemeral aspect of debate performances at shrines. Shrine venues typically happen on the death anniversary of the interred saint and can be constructed and dismantled quickly. At times, as I have sometimes witnessed, the details of a debate performance remain indeterminate until hours before the program begins, especially if the venue receives opposition or outrage from conservative members of the community. The fleeting platform thus elicits a certain prestige through its transience, where devotional appeal also lies in how it suddenly is experienced and then fondly remembered. To lay a larger percentage of audience members belong to a burgeoning class of pilgrimage pilgrims and audience members that uniquely juggle cultural do uh, knowledge domains through code switching, which they increasingly understand as a form of style and empowerment, opening up spaces for sociality, aesthetics, value, and subjectivity afforded to them. Unlike other groups who may dispassionately chance upon the performance of the debate, this listen listenership rather seems to particularly enjoy the debate as both a whimsical and deeply introspective act Ultimately, their engagement with the debate, one that recognizes and finds merit in its odd amalgamation of elocution and playfulness, is an apt foil to Boyati discursiveness. If, for the Boyati, the debate is an astute demonstration of muddled subjectivities for Bengali Muslims over time and space, its most ardent listenership is uniquely poised to hear the delight in its ostensibly rambling and serpentine nature. In Bangladesh, the relationships between artist, debate, and shrine is a complex one. The vast disparity found in coexisting devotional performance spaces at burial sites and the subsequent geographical boundaries, boundaries of piety, piety which they delineate generate a heightened sense of spiritual competitiveness. While this phenomenon accentuates the incongruous and sometimes volatile interactions of varying religiosities, it also encourages and conflates the boundaries of traditional sacred space and its experimental promotion through sound. The debate's entertaining capriciousness is suppositional and transgressive, at once contentious and disarming. There's a poignant but unspoken acknowledgement of its absurdity and the debating of rhetorical questions that have long infiltrated the parameters of Bengali devotional song, but will perhaps remain inconclusive for many years to come. Thanks so much. Soundlore is an official production of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University. Produced by David McDonald and Jeremy Reed. Music provided by Pagliacci and some other clowns. Engineered by Amanda Luke. Questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Leave us a message at 812-855-0396. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Soundlore on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening.